Hello, and welcome to Camp Scary and Squee, a podcast that tests my theory that every horror movie exists on a scale of divine camp to pure terror. I'm your host, Damien, and my guest today describes her perfect horror movie as something that gets the heart racing, gives us a complex villain, and has at least one good belly laugh. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we get started on this week's movie, I'm very interested to know what's been haunting you this week. Yesterday, the Woolworths food delivery person said, you have a nice kitchen, and I thought he said, you have a nice weekend, and responded with, you too. Oh, no. That might haunt me for the rest of my life, not just this week. you, You can never get groceries ever again. No, I will starve now. <laughs> so this week, do you want to reveal what we are reviewing? Dun, dun, dun. It is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the film, not to be confused with the long-running series of the same name. Very exciting. And some stats on this. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie or the film, was released in 1992. It's written by Joss Whedon, uh, who we all know from the series, and directed by Fran Kazili. Starring Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland, Paul Rubens, Rutger Hoyer, and Luke Perry, uh, who is a bit dreamy. A bit dreamy, but also I'm not really sure how he thought he could play someone in their teens or early 20s when he's clearly 47 years old. (laughs) Yeah, no, he did. He hung on to those roles for a little too long. Uh, the film, sure, I think there's some notable absences from your um, starring. I know, there are. Um, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck is in this. <laughs> uh, Ricky Lake is in this. Okay, I knew Hilary Swank was yeah, in this, Hillary but Swank. I missed Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake's the waitress. Are you serious? Um, and obviously David Arquette, who is a redeeming feature of this film. And most importantly, the IMDb description describes Buffy the Vampire Slayer. A flighty teenage girl, Buffy Summers learns that she is her generation's destined battler of vampires. Does that capture it for you? It sort of does. It Why sort do you of feels does. Like she not is enough. Um, when I was doing a little bit of extra research, because I loved this movie as a kid, um, and I was doing a bit of extra research into it, and I also saw the word vacuous thrown around, which I think possibly is a better better choice than flashy it is a mask like the entire film is a masterclass in kind of that 90s teenage i don't give a shit about you kind of voice yeah definitely um the the way that they speak it's i know it's only from the early 90s but it's literally like being transported back into a different time um the dialogue is very interesting well it's like what is it 1992 so it's like it's Nearly 30 years ago. Yeah. Like, it's it was a while ago. It was. It's only a little bit younger than us. Only a little bit, actually. I was thinking about that when I was trying to work out when I first watched this film because I think it might have been 1992. Really? So I would have been, like, I think four. Oh, your parents were, like, way less strict than mine. It is so weird because I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons or Jerry Springer. But my mum and my sisters are significantly older than me, so I think there's a lot of media I was introduced to, possibly a little younger than I should have been. But they like everyone loved horror films, so I just feel like that was always something that was playing in the backgrounds in my house. <laughs> Do you think that's had a big influence on your relationship with horror, that you grew up in a house that loved it? 
definitely. Well, my dad doesn't love it. It's just my mum and my, one of my older sisters. Um, but it was always like de-stress and unwind was to watch a horror movie, which I think is quite odd, maybe for for many. I don't know. I like I find well, I don't know if I find them relaxing, but I find horror films this great escape and you sort of see into a different world and you yell at the TV a bit because everyone's an idiot. It's like it, it's something I do to unwind. Yeah, there's a real sort of ritual to horror in our family, which sounds like a horror movie actually now that I'm saying it's a it real out loud. Ritual horror in our family. <laughs> Yeah, all of the virgin sacrifices that we used to do on the weekends. Um, no, but yeah, watching a horror film together um, was just something that we did. And then we, when the credits rolled, because this was back in the time of VHS, um, someone would race off. So there was only one person left in the room, turn all the lights off and then hide somewhere to give the person that was remaining that had to sort of like rewind the movie and lock the door to give them a fright. It reeks of a family that loves a horror film. But we should get to the reason we're here today with Buffy. I want to talk a bit about the film. Um, To get us started, I think it has a really great opening scene. I'm personally very fond of it. I don't want to throw the word iconic around, but if I was going to say something was iconic, it would be that opening scene. So to give everyone a sense of what it is, we open on high school basketball cheerleading. Yes. I would say they might have practiced for a day to get this routine down. It doesn't really align with um, the current concept of cheerleading as being a legitimate athletic pursuit. No, this was mostly shaking pom-poms, shimmying. So much shimmying. <laughs> so much shimmying. It just goes on and on and on. And, you know, everyone everyone was really into it. I, like, I, I thought that, you know, they they gave it a red-hot go. And but So in this scene, we kind of get a sense of the school. There's, I still am not sure why they made this choice, but there's this coach who's, like, really new age and is, like, I love him. I know when he's like, you are a complete person. You have a right to this ball. I was like, yeah, he's got a point. <laughs> I was watching just going, what, what's the angle here? Who thought this was, <laughs> what are they trying to achieve? But I he guess certainly belongs more in a sort of a noughties horror film. Doesn't he? As opposed to a, an early nineties. Yeah, I guess. Are they trying to say that the school's really supportive and everyone's really happy? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? Because the whole scene's set up to, like, glorify sport and identify the popular kids and how they are separate from the rest of everybody. Um, so he doesn't really align with that. No. But it, I guess we, like, we, Buffy is front and centre, Chrissy Swanson, and we can see that she's the most popular of the popular kids. And the blondest. The blondest. Very important in the 90s, apparently. Um and it's sort of it's quite short lived, and we head straight to the shopping mall to like get that more depth to their character. We're sort of seeing how she interacts with her friends. Um, I have so many things written down in my notes that were just things that they said. Like most of my notes is just inverted commas and like what they said. Me too. Me so too. I have, seriously, so I had no just sense pop- of history. He wears a brown tie. Um, either that they're going to the movies, and the the way they select. Um, they don't even have Dolby 
I was not a teenager in the 90s, but was Dolby something you aspired to when you went to the movies? That is such a good point. I guess so. What is it? Surround? I think it means surround sounds, does it? As opposed to a a single centralized speaker. I've never thought about it. It's because we are products of incredible privilege (laughs) and great audio. (laughs) But um, possibly the greatest, well, look, they decide, I can't remember where they decide to go, but um, once they've decided where they're going to go see a movie, they say, sounds toasty. What relevant? I know. I know. The whole I, thing, I think like- that because I feel like for a long time in different scenarios in my adult life, I've been saying toast to cake, Tim, in celebration of doing something. And I still don't know what the toast, the toaster and being toasty has to do with anything. One of the mysteries. This, of this, this movie is full of mysteries when it comes to what they say. Um, and we, I guess this whole scene exists just to get us to the point of there's a run-in with Merrick, who anyone who's watched like the Buffy series knows about Giles, the Watcher, this incredible relationship. Merrick is the Watcher played by Donald Sutherland. Like, there's this big hitting actors in this movie. Yeah, I think that maybe... Um a significant portion of the film's overall production budget went to netting Donald Sutherland as an actor. Um, I was also reading that he would rewrite the lines. So um, given that he was a big name, um, took some liberties in terms of production and would rewrite his lines the day before, which led to some creative conflict between him and Joss Whedon, the writer of the story, which I thought was really interesting. I was like, ooh. So this is – Joss Whedon left that set, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, he stormed off. He left the set. Um, in future interviews, he talks about how he um, how he didn't like the direction it went. He thought they were making it Lionsgate, the the um, company, were making it too kind of lightweight, and they didn't get his dark humor, and they wanted didn't want it to be as dark a film as it was as as he wanted it to be, and that there's this whole thing that like the series is kind of him taking control back from that. Because the series is very divorced from the film and it doesn't surprise me in the slightest to learn that there were creative differences because sort of the wit and grit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series, is largely missing from the film where it's um, comedy, even, even when it's unintentional because it's just really, really poor production and bubblegum and um, pretty light dialogue. It's not, like, I don't think it's scary at any point. I was thinking about this because I do remember feeling frissons of fear as a young girl watching the film, and I was trying to pinpoint it because um, it's not, you're right, it's not a scary film. Um, And I wonder if it was the abandoned carnival-type scene that resonated with me i still find that idea of like abandoned places where kids typically play that take on a very dark and menacing mood at night when you know the sunlight's gone i still find that a bit scary yeah it's so if we get back to where we were she's just seen donald sutherland dramatic eye contact yeah i have an issue with donald sutherland's casting as well because i feel like giles gives off fatherly protective 
Watcher vibes. And Donald Sutherland literally looks like a creep and someone that you would avoid late at night. Yes, he really does. I guess it's all like it's all for like the exposition of setting up every character in this because like the very next scene is to sort of introduce the other two big characters which are they're at the movies and they're talking all the way through it because they're vapid and 90s and and inconsiderate and wealthy like it's all gets established that they're they're wealthy and they they're sort of growing up in this world of great privilege uh and we meet Pike and Benny. So Pike is Luke Perry, Benny, David Arquette. Um, There's nothing really of note here except that we meet them and there's a little bit of a confrontation, I guess, to develop the tension of the show or the movie. Yeah, I think also the fact that um, they allude to the fact that they're stoned because these aren't the athletes, they're not the popular kids, they're, hey, I'm part of a subculture where I get stoned and go to the movies and don't pay for my ticket. And I'm that, so edgy. I mean, that was the 90s. We get to, so look, we've set up all of that, and the last thing we have to set up is what the big bad is. It's a horror film. And we get that when we do go to the carousel. So it's, is it abandoned or is it just nighttime? I think it's nighttime. Okay. I don't know. There's a lot about the the main villain that doesn't make sense for me in this film. Yeah. Including the carousel. It, I think the vampires live in that park, which makes me think it's abandoned. Yeah. But there's some guy who decides to, like, cut through it. Meanwhile, every close-up, he has the weirdest shaped mouth I've ever seen. He just keeps sort of doing this duck face thing. It's like he's already got the vampire teeth prosthetic in, and he's, like, trying to talk around it. So much much of the dialogue is, like, people not coming off as a genuine villain because of their affected speaking from <laughs> the mouthpieces. Yeah. No, every time the vampires speak and they're like, how dare you? <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> yes. It really has, it like, it loses all its punch. But we said we meet Amelin. Yeah, Amelin. Actually, a side note, this piece or this part was originally written for a whip for a woman. For a woman. This part was originally written for a woman, um, and then obviously Pee Wee Herman got the job, so they did a few rewrites. But I found that really interesting. Um, that's maybe that's why it sort of took this really comical turn because Pee Wee Herman, not known for dramatic what's his acting, name? Paul Rubens, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah Paul Rubens. Um, yeah, he's not really like if you're going to bring him onto a project, you're going to bring him on because he's funny. And he does, like, he is kind of the comic relief of the whole thing. Definitely. Oh. Without, without, yeah, spoiling it, that his, his, his death, watching him circle the drain. Yeah. Gives me endless <laughs> entertainment. The longest death scene. He's, like, kicking the wall. Eh, He kind of sounds like um, when my eldest daughter asked me what sound a turtle makes and I YouTubed it and accidentally showed her turtle porn. <laughs> He kind of sounds like the sound a turtle makes when they're having sex. The problem with this is I want to just pick out the key scenes. But yeah. What I really want to talk about is every insanely quotable quote. Yeah, I've got so many as well. So kill him a lot. Kill him a lot. Well, we meet, uh, we meet Buffy's parents in her home and they don't care about her. They're very distant. 
And her mum says the greatest thing ever when she leaves. She goes, kiss noise. I didn't even notice that. Did you? Oh, it, like, I've been saying it for like a week. I watched this a week ago and it's all I keep thinking. Kiss noise. That is good. I, I love how they set up like her detachment as, do you know what time it is? Oh, I knew this thing was slow. Like we expect that Buffy is going to get scolded for being home late after killing a vampire in a graveyard, but actually blood on on her face. Yeah, exactly. But her mum's just worried about the watch. And we start, where do we go? We're sort of, I don't know, this exposition, I feel like they spend most of the film setting up who everyone is. Yeah. Well, I guess um, from this point forward, Buffy becomes less vapid. Her friends become more vapid. So it hasn't quite happened. So we've like met her parents. They get to the senior dance planning room. It's going to be like a an environment theme, and they're all sort of struggling with it. But don't tread on me. Don't tread on me. <laughs> you have to tread on it. It's the earth. Um, but it's not until we have that second confrontation at Cafe Blase. I feel like this is where the kind of you know connection comes in with them in that like Buffy and like Pike notices Buffy because she slices Benny's hot dog. She wastes his dog, as he says. She's not like other girls. She's not. She knows how to slice a hot dog <laughs> long ways down the middle. It's important with skill. a butter knife. Like <laughs> it is quite. I a... love the sounds as well. It's like <laughs> like she's doing it so fast, but it's literally just cut yeah. down the middle. It sounds like she was you know topiarying it, and actually <laughs> it's just one slice down the middle. Yeah. I feel like those particular sounds get reused throughout the film every time she flips. But they had this. I think they're they're high again or they're drunk. I think they're drunk now. Maybe they, yeah. oh, do you know what? Maybe they like smoke pot and then drink, which maybe <laughs> maybe that's why they're so fucked up. Well, you know they're part of the subculture, man. Yeah, they don't like to follow the same rules as everybody else, man. <laughs> but they like have that scene where they can't. I, I again, everyone just walks through creepy places for no reason. Like, are they True. going somewhere? Or are they just walking along the edge of a cliff? Are they trying to get murdered by a vampire? Well, this is what happens is they're both clearly very drunk, feeling sick. Um, I think Benny's in love with Pipe. Really? So th- there's this whole thing. They're, like, walking along and he's uh, Benny's complaining about Buffy and her friends and Pike sort of makes a thing like, would you do them? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, do them, whatever. One more beer and I do you. And I'm like, oh, you're you're fishing for this. Like you want to, you're like, maybe he's drunk enough this time. Yeah, good point. In fact, towards the end when he's like, we could start a band, he's probably saying we could form a meaningful relationship and be together for eternity. Becoming a vampire, you immediately start to sort of transgress societal expectations and it wouldn't be that big a leap for Pike to fall in love with him if he was a vampire too. I, I can totally see this angle. I think they've missed an opportunity I here. I think they really have. Look, B- Benny gets taken. Pike's passed out. Donald Sutherland saves him. Like, watches Benny get taken. And then does just nothing, tells and Pike then, to go home. Well, no, I think he puts him in his car. I don't know. He's not very helpful, he's is not, he, really? He's not useful at all. And his fighting skills are less than advertised. I mean, there there is a, a montage coming up where Buffy's 
boxing his bare hands. The okay. training montage is a highlight. We're so close to it. I'm trying to like work out how I, t- how I move Sorry, I'm, No, no, I'm, no, it's not you. It's it easy to follow um, a linear path. No, well, I don't think we can talk about this in a linear way because it's just, it's all over the place itself. It's a lot. We, we get this, we get to see uh, Chrissy Swanson's stunt double. Because it's just that thing where she's like, stretch, change camera angle, clearly a different person flipping around <laughs> the room. Um, she, meets, she meets Merrick properly. He tells her that she's the slayer. He gives off major creep vibes. I feel like Child oh, would, would have handled this very differently. I agree. I would not have gone with him to a graveyard. I'm sorry, if anyone is listening and a creepy old man tells them that they are chosen and that you need to go with the graveyard to the graveyard with him and don't go, it's a trap. It is a trap. You're not chosen. It's a trap. I mean, you're chosen. <laughs> yeah. Not for the right reasons. <laughs> but they go to the graveyard. She clearly has a knack for killing vampires. He does not, despite being – is he immortal? Like – no, he's reborn every time right. with the knowledge. He already has the knowledge of his life's purpose. But he'd like to be a cobbler. So yeah. he's a genuine tragedy he really of the is. film. But he's like born with this knowledge of his life's purpose, but not how to fight, which yeah. is quite frustrating. But, you know, he sets her up, sits her on the grave so that she gets attacked by the vampire. And I guess this is... Well, is this like driving the plot forward? She knows it. Yeah. Well, before this, like there are strange things happening in oh, Santa yes. High. That they just people are going missing. Someone showed up dead. Someone showed up dead. A neck wound that looked like, and the news reporter said, a gross hickey. I know. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. So strange things are happening, and this is a scene where Buffy is confronted with a real life, actual vampire. So she knows that there is some truth to Merrick's claims that she's the chosen guy. She is the chosen guy. And it sort of, I guess it gets us to the point of like her having to make that choice. And we very quickly end up with what is my favorite scene of the whole thing in the locker room where she's like, what are you doing here? It's a naked place. Merrick shows up because Buffy doesn't want to do her training. And Buffy and Merrick's like, what do you mean? I'm a creep. This is where I hang out. Are you surprised I hang out in the women's locker room? <laughs> but this has the best scene because he throws a knife at her and she catches it. But right before he throws the knife, he kind of twirls his beard. I didn't notice. I don't, I mean, was I half asleep? Uh, I didn't notice. It's the, again, he's a creep. Like, it's the creepiest thing I've ever seen. He, like, takes both of his hands and, like, the backs of his fingers, he runs them up the side of his, his <laughs> moustache before he throws them the knife. And it's, like, it feels like a really deliberate choice, but it makes... Because he's got gloves on as well, so he doesn't know where his face is. He's kind of just, like, slapping himself in the face as he tries to, like, twirl his moustache that he can't touch. He does it, like, as a... I'm about to do something really cool. Maybe this is one of the last-minute changes that he implemented that don't make any sense. Maybe this was the straw that broke Joss Whedon's back. Quite possibly. The weird facial hair touching before <laughs> knife throwing. If I was Joss Whedon and I, I watched that, I'd probably be like, oh, do you know what? This isn't my vision. I want out. To be fair, I always fondle my facial hair before I throw a knife at someone. 
Well, on the occasions that I have thrown a knife, it's it's very important. You've got to you've got to look on fleek. Well, my villain moustache. But this is kind of the point where we get to the montage, which is yes. very exciting. Um, I made lots of notes during the montage, but they were just like like one word each. Well, sometimes two. Boxing, yelling and stakes, rope climbing, kicking, punching Merrick's hands, stunt double, kick bag, bag kicks back, kissing the boyfriend. I don't know why I've written that. Oh, actually, I do know why I've written that. Because um, in the montage, she's still like hanging out with her friends and yes. her boyfriend, Jeffrey, who we have not talked about at all because... He's a douche. He's a douche, but he's also just got no personality. Yeah. I like, he, gives, he gives off, like, major douche vibes. You just forget he exists. So when in that, you're sort of watching it and there's this whole thing going on with Pike and you're kind of following that and then you go, oh, yeah, she's got a boyfriend. That be arch. Yeah, so that scene, it's kind of like her two identities um, grappling with each other. She wants to be with her friends and in the cafeteria, but then she has vampires to kill. So these are some decisions that she needs to make. But she like gets into it because there's mirror punching. She like watches herself punching it, which I assume is like a technique thing. There's a lot of mirror punching. She doesn't punch the mirror. They're in the alley. She's doing some bad acting and singing. Feeling. Yes. But uh, and something we haven't talked about, which is evident here, is the cramps thing. How annoying are the cramps? It's Why crazy. does she need to get menstrual-like cramps when there's a vampire around? It's like, does it have something to do with her fertility? Or it's a very strange inclusion in the film. It, it is really odd. And it's it sort of stands out at earlier points because, like, when she's first meeting Merrick, but we're also overwhelmed that he's a creep and you don't sort of connect it with, like, the vampire thing. But this idea of getting cramps from the vampires, that you're just like, who, who thought this was a good idea? It's like a very own spidey sense, but it's just a bit shit. Really shit. <laughs> it's kind of like Harry Potter's scar hurting, but weirdly linked to... Female hormones. I don't know. I I don't understand it. It makes no sense. This doesn't happen to the real Buffy. No, it doesn't. Well, this is an interesting point, though, because Sarah Michelle Gellar is the real Buffy. Sarah Michelle Gellar is the real Buffy. Because she can act. And if you disagree with me, I will fight you. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. (laughs) No one's disagreeing with you you on that. Um, I did find – I did, like, think – so, so the Buffy series came out in 1997, so which point I was like maybe seven or eight. My math isn't great, so if anyone's like doing the calculations and I'm wrong, solve. But um, I thought she was incredible and I had already seen the film, um, but now re-watching it because I've, I've watched the series like multiple times. It's a hobby of mine. Sometimes I just re-watch it. Um, but Christy Swanson, there are some real similarities in the way that they look and – um, I think the series treats the original film as a bit of a joke. Sometimes they allude to it. In the original ending of the film, the gym was supposed to burn down. She was supposed to burn up down the gym. Um, and they make reference to that a bunch of times. And they even do a flashback in one episode to Sarah Michelle Gellar dressed up a bit like Christy Swanson and looking like really vacuous. Um, but 
yeah, it's it's kind of just like a big joke. Have we covered the part where Benny's floating outside the window yet? We haven't. That was ages back too. Um, oh, yeah. See, and this plays into my Benny Loves Pike thing. Yeah. Um, at, at the bedroom window, knocking yes. on the bedroom. It, Romeo, is that you, Benny? <laughs> Told you, Benny Loves Pike. Um, yes, so Pike. after Benny gets bitten by Amelyn, he's turned into a vampire and – I think, do they do it as a bit of a fake out? Like he's at Pike's window and he's like, what are you doing, man? And we don't realise until a good sort of, what, minute into the scene that Benny's floating like a few floors up. Yeah. I think this is actually one of the best scenes of the entire film. I found this to be a really cool scene. I also love that Pike is so stoned that he's like, you're floating. And... (laughs) Like maybe he is or maybe he's just imagining that he's floating. Um, But, yeah, I actually found this to be legitimately a little bit scary. Not – well, no, it's not scary, but um, as close as this movie comes to scary. Well, it's menacing. Like he's at his window and and he's saying, I'm hungry. He's like, I'm hungry. Yeah, let me in. I'm hungry. I might have to reconsider my um, horror camp scale, (laughs) given this new information that Benny's in love with Pike. Uh, so where are we? So, oh God. So Pike's trying to leave town. That's where we yes. were. And His van breaks down. Maybe it never got the parts. Yeah. Maybe. Do you know what I love as well? Like, cause Pike's the subculture man. He is in a position to recognize that weird stuff is happening in LA. Whereas everyone else, they're so, um, into their own existence that they don't even notice yeah. The gross hickeys on all the corpses. And that's why he's getting out. Yeah. Except that he's he- not because Avalon and two extras, yeah, they show up, he gets his van going, he backs into one of them, Avalon ends up on the front of the, the van like holding on and hissing. Yeah. Um, he ends up turning down like this field and completely destroying his axles as he like just drives through a field. Into <laughs> a tree. But eventually Avalon gets his – I think he punches through the roof of the van. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then he's grabbing around. Blindly. Blindly, and yeah. they go under a tree and Avalon gets ripped off, but his arm stays in the van. He doesn't seem that upset about his arm. No. He's like, you ruined my jacket. Does the arm grow back? I mean, we know – we find out that he's existed for, like, more than 100 years, several hundred years – um, he's never lost an arm before, or has he? Like, why isn't he more upset that well, he's just the arm lost an arm? moving after it came off, so maybe it, like, maybe he can just reconnect it. Yeah, but he doesn't, though, does he? He doesn't. He just well, has his sleeve pinned up. Yeah. I mean, this is another hole that... Look, unless I had some sort of vampiric guarantee that my arm was going <clears throat> to grow back, I would be a little bit upset about losing one. Yeah, I mean, it's a change... It changes things, you know. It's going to be things he can't do now. Yeah. Like break into vans and reach around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's like the opportunity is here for Pike to work out that Buffy knows about vampires too and that she can kill them. And we have this kind of nice thing that it's the point of because he's such a juxtaposition to Buffy's boyfriend, Jeffrey, who's such a douchebag. 
and calls her his thang at one point. I know. Yeah, it's really nice. Early on when he's like, no, you can't borrow her, you'll get her dirty. Yeah. I was like, gross. It's really gross. Like, yeah. I mean, and I guess they're trying to establish this kind of douchebag so we all hate him. But there is this very strong comparison with Pike who immediately faints. Yeah. And he's kind of like the damsel in distress, isn't he? Well, she... Oh, they flipped it. What? Oh, my God. Very subversive. Yeah. They're, like, really sticking to the patriarchy. There is something really interesting about this because the movie was released in 1992 um, and... Carol Clover's Men, Women and Chainsaws was also released in 1992 where she talks about the final girl and Buffy kind of does sort of put that on its head. Yeah, a little bit. Well, I guess also because, I mean, she does hit some of the tropes of the final girl. She's virginal. Yeah, well, is she? Because I feel like her boyfriend has sleepovers quite early on in the piece. But he's, like, trying stuff on and she's kind of rebuffing his advances. There is definitely a character arc that aligns itself with Final Girl because she goes from, like, bubblegum, blonde, vacuous to, you know, someone who could potentially overcome the big villain. But... I don't know. She's, she's the one who kicks ass. Yeah, like it's not that she's not the final girl in the sense that she's not just running screaming the whole time. And she's ne- like she's never quite helpless. Even when uh is his name I wanna say Lothos? Yeah, Lothos. Yeah. Even when he's like entrancing her, she like it's it, she doesn't seem helpless or kind of there while she has moments of of, of kind of of losing focus and, and not not being in control, she regains it. So yeah, no, it does. I think you're right. It it does flip it on the head. Maybe I mean that they were both released in the same year, so maybe she's just a very early prototype of an empowered woman in you know a media form. Yeah, definitely. I I feel like she um and look potentially that's Joff's Whedon's writing there is that. Because you look at Buffy the series and what who Buffy is, and she's this very dynamic character that has like has great kind of strength, but also really really great flaws, and you know she's very multi-dimensional. And perhaps this kind of challenging of that final girl trope comes from Joss Whedon's writing initially, but it's kind of lost a bit in the whatever happened to this film. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's a really good point because even um, the, the opening scene of the series, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we, we realise later on that this character, this sort of helpless-looking blonde who's breaking into the school with a bad boy type um, character, we realise later that she is Dala, um, but it's sort of like, I don't think we should be doing this. We're going to get in trouble. And I, I think I can hear something. And in the end, she's the big bad. She's the vampire, but um, has a little snacky snack little snack on, snack. on the guy that you, that you think they're sort of in it together. But she's she's got the munchies. She does. So where the hell are we? <laughs> Oh my god, I've got no idea. Honestly, um, what happened in this film? Where are, I oh, took some on. I took some notes, but then I just feel like I've done this 
like verbal dump. Um, I think my point with like the opening scenes of Buffy is that it sets it up that he, that Joss Whedon. I think Joss Whedon does write like reasonably good female characters, and he sets it up that it, it's not just like business as usual, helpless female. There's a little bit of depth to it, not a lot in some. Not a lot cases, in this case, but a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. And then probably the next big thing that happens. So Pike knows what's going on. There's kind of you know, there's that. There's a connection. Um, but the next thing we sort of get to is that Merrick dies. How lackluster. Oh, yeah. You know, I I just feel like Merrick's whole character is such bullshit. Well, this, maybe Donald Sutherland did this. So Merrick was originally meant to commit suicide. Yeah. He, he couldn't be a cobbler. Maybe. I, I don't actually know why he was meant to commit suicide, but yeah, no, that was the original plan. And in this whole making this less dark, it was too dark, it needed to be more funny, it needed to be a comedy to appeal to young people, they like pulled that out. And they still had him die, but he was killed by Lothus with his own um, his own stake. And it's, that um, handkerchief also grossed me out in that scene. Oh, yeah, that was weird as well because he got stabbed and he was like, picks up a, like, pulls a handkerchief out. <laughs> oh, I've been stabbed. Excuse me. Oh, <laughs> uh, Joe, he's, yeah. It's not a, like, it's not a meaningful enough death to explain the, the ensuing kind of crisis that Buffy has. And their whole relate, like, I, like there's a trading montage and we're supposed to understand that they're bonding and becoming closer, but really the entirety of their relationship and the way that it arcs within the film is him making a joke and her laughing at it. Oh, and yes. He made a joke. And then we're just expected to believe that he becomes very important to her. So when his untimely handkerchief death comes along, she's deeply affected. I'm not buying it. No. I, like. This is, this is where it falls down. Like, I feel like the, up until this point, it's like, oh, yeah, I can see this working, I can see this working, and this is just where it falls down entirely. It's a mess. Do you, remember, do you get the feeling that, like, there was an original storyline and then, like, the changes that were made were made the night before? Yeah, and, like, along the way, like, every yeah. day someone yeah. came in with a new idea and they were like, yeah, let's do that too. And by the mm-hmm. end of it, there's just a... A mess of too many too many cooks. Someone spoiled the broth here. Because what the heck is the go with the music and when the music stops? Because I've seen a lot of horror movies, but I don't get why the main villain let her go. I get like, and she's not ready, so she's not a, a yeah. A, what what does she need to be ready for? And oh, what does music have to do with anything? Does he have some sort of vampire power, like musical power? I mean, I know he plays the violin. So, we skipped over the basketball game, but Ben Affleck plays in the He's. I even wrote Ben Affleck as number 10 on the opposition side. Ben Affleck. Batman. And that's where Creepy Mouth Man comes back, but this time he has vampire teeth and his mouth makes more sense. I mean, I struggle to find a favourite quote, but I do love the part where he's like, and now... I'm a guard, <laughs> like over his fake yes. face. 
And then Pike's like, obviously, and now you're a co-rack. Yeah, no, it's very good. And it, it is it is great to see that kind of, it's like he's wearing headgear. Like, if this was aged down to where they're, like, 12 to 14, they could all, just all the vampires could just be kids in headgear. And now I'm a guard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, God, where are we up to? I have no idea. I feel like I've just derailed your podcast. Oh, no, it's totally fine. Where, uh, Merrick's dead. Oh, she, he dies. And then she goes to talk to her friends about it and none of them care. And Hilary Swank has possibly, the, every line's the possibly the best line, but they have this big confrontation and then they find out Kathy dies. Does that happen then? Remember Cassandra. The Cassandra. So she has a big fight with her friends. Hilary Swank says, get out of my facial. Yes. Which yeah. is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, Cinematic genius. I, if you had watched that and then said she goes on to be one of the great actors and does these performances that just blow you away. I don't think anyone would believe you. I kind of love her performance in this movie, though, because I feel like she can, like, I feel like Hilary Swank and David Arquette save this film. They do. Because they, they give reasonable performances. And I especially love Hilary Swank in the opening basketball um, cheerleading scene where she's in the bleachers and someone comes to sit beside her and the look that she gives him is, like, just so much disdain. I'm, I just don't know how any person could possibly inject that much disgust into a facial expression. She finds a way. Also, I really particularly enjoy when she gets knocked unconscious and her eyes go crossed. <laughs> yes. She starts screaming because Buffy comes back and the principal slams her head into the wall. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it's not going to win her another Oscar, but I didn't hate it. Um, But it does take us to Buffy's sulky walk because she decides she wants to get back to who she really was. She wants to trade in those steaks for the pom-poms. She really does. And she walks down that street with her thumbs in her pocket. I'm glad she doesn't sing again. She doesn't sing again, luckily. But, like, her thumbs are just like, like, I'm demonstrating this to you on video, but no one else can see this. But they're just, like, wedged into her pocket, and it it makes her look like she's really uncomfortable. I feel like, did someone tell you to do that? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be, like, a boo-hoo, I'm sad walk, maybe a few kicks of clods of dirt on the ground as she walks along. She's just not a very good actress. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird choice. Those shorts are a weird choice. They are. Like, I know it was the 90s, but a couple of times I was like, they are. They look amazing from behind, but on the front of me. When she turns around, you're like, Oh no, they're like they're great pants, and then she turns back and you're like, "Why are they baggy in the front?" Yes. How? How are they tight in the back and baggy in the front? Why does she need like room for additional pubic bone? There's so much space <laughs> like around that area. God, they were look, they were a weird choice, but it does um, give us the moment for Benny with in the photo booth to overhear them. Yes, like another key plot point that gets kindly spoon-fed to us. Because now they know her identity. But they already knew her identity. Because she, like, did they like 
in the editing suite confused the scenes and this was meant to happen before the basketball game. I feel like Pike and Benny were in the editing suite as actual people, drunk and high, just being like, oh, no, that'll work. That'll work. It just it doesn't make sense. It's like that we all, like everyone already knows and he's like, oh, we've just found out that Buffy is the Slayer and... Yeah, so they, Lothos knows that she's Buffy. Her childhood friend that drank too much blueberry schnapps and whatever the word they use for vomit all over her house at her oh, birthday yeah, party, he knows who she is. Maybe but, he is a really bad communicator. Yeah, he needs, do you know what, he needs a comms manager to, like, help get the message out there. Hey, everyone, by the way, we found the next Slayer. Update, located. Call off the search. As you know, I have to kill her, so please don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, another weird segue, but can we also talk about how Pike and Spike are the same character, but one of them is the love interest and one of them is a villain? Yes. Well, and one of them's human and one of them's a vampire. Maybe Pike got turned... No, no, that doesn't make sense. We know, we know Spike's history. <laughs> Benny got Pike. They had a very happy relationship until he met Drusilla. When I say got, I mean bit and turned into a vampire. <laughs> he got him, yeah. He got him. <laughs> there, there are, like, it's that same kind of... So this is an interesting thing about the series. We're going to talk about the series more than we talk about this film. Um, but the series didn't have... Like, the series ended up with a bit of a love interest with the bad boy, but for a long time, Buffy always went for the kind of haunted but very sort of empathic and and kind guy. And it's only, like, later in the series when after... Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the Buffy series, I should say. But only after she dies and gets brought back to life that she really goes for the bad boy. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, one of the things I really like about Buffy as the series is she has very few love interests over the course of seven seasons. Like, Angel is the big love, sort of the one that never gets resolved. But beyond that, there's only, like... Well, there's the army there's, guy who... Um, there's Riley. Riley. There's, there's a random guy at college named Parker. And then there's Spike. Yeah, I think, I think it, in the first season she might go on a date with a guy. She um, does. Remember in the first season, she's, I think this is the first season, she's seeing someone and he, like, sees, like, the vampire ship go down and then he like, really wants to get into it. He's like, oh, yeah, I want to be a vampire too. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, loves, yeah. he likes, like, um, oh, my God, this is embarrassing, but I can't remember her name. Famous author Emily Bronte. Oh, right. Who's quite dark. And then, yeah, he's attracted to, like, the darkness and she's worried he's going to get hurt. But it's not really, like, it. it's like how each season has an overarching big bad, but often within episodes there'll be, like, a resolution of, you know, a small ticket bad guy. Yeah. It's like there's one, two main romances and then there's maybe a sprinkling of other ones, but it's just not an important part of her. No, it's not. And it's funny because it becomes quite important for a lot of the other characters, but Buffy almost sort of focuses on 
where her purpose is. Yeah, she's just, she ain't got no time for no man. No. Well, and also, you know, the first guy she slept with that turned him immediately evil and he murdered lots of people. Yeah, and then got sent to a hell dimension for possibly hundreds of years because time moves differently. Yeah, which, like, you know, if that happened to me, I'd need a lot of therapy because she had to kill him as well. She did. Stabbed him straight in the heart. It was very traumatic. God, that's a that's an intense episode. That, there are so many intense episodes. That series made me cry a lot. <laughs> me too. So good. It's so good. It's but, so good. But that's the thing. Good, like, clearly Joss Whedon's storytelling was not tampered with, but also really great performances, particularly from Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Anthony Head, who's, like, so good as well. Like, there are some hard-hitting actors in that. And I know that there's, like, Donald Sutherland in this, but he just sucks. He should have played Lothos. That would have made more sense. Yeah, he should have played Lothos because he is a villain. Yeah, he's a creep and it was weird and I'm never... And I was happy when he died with his handkerchief. I didn't feel anything when he died. (laughs) Yeah, true. God, we we don't hate you, Donald, but seriously, what... Sorry, Donald, if you're listening. I thought you were fantastic as as Snow. In The Hunger Games. With your handkerchief acting, it it made more sense there. Because you're a creep. (laughs) God, what are we up to? So she had that. Oh my God, we're near the end. The film's nearly over. No. So they have the dance, and she gets there, and Jeffrey and the friend Jessica. Wait, what's no, her name? No, it's not a name. <laughs> the one that. The one with the perm. The one with the perm. It's Jennifer. Jennifer. What did I say? I've already forgotten. It doesn't matter. Anyway, Jeffrey and Jennifer. Jeffrey and Jennifer. Are hooking up and he broke up with her machine. To be fair, I feel like we're all quite disgusted with that. We're like, what, you broke up with her machine, but she's been like seeing Pike on the sly and hasn't broken up with his machine. Yeah. Bit of a double standard there. Wow. I mean, you know, maybe she wants something more open. Maybe. Slaying's a tough gig. Like, you know, you've got to just sort yourself out where you can. You could die any day, so you just jump on that pike. Yeah. I feel like there's, that's got quite a few meanings. <laughs> yeah, I sort of was like, ooh. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's very sad at the dance. Pike arrives. Something we haven't talked about is he wears like a, like a tunic shirt. Yeah. Through the whole thing. And like for the dance, he just puts a leather jacket over it. Yeah. Well, it's because he's a member of the subculture. Yes, I know. He's different. He's got a... He's different. He has his own look. But he he does brighten up his day, dances with her. Clearly, she's very happy. He likes her. She likes him. They pash, like, very extra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's also... Yeah, it's, it's not a nice pash. It's, it's like they just... The, the shot for the past just goes on and on and you're like, they're going to come up the air, right? 
This can't be the way Buffy dies. Suffocation. <laughs> Suffocating on pipes now. Oh, that's really gross. Um, I do want to note his jacket was clearly made for her and he's just wearing it to, to <laughs> hand it over to her because it has shoulder pads. I know, they should have just shoulders. put him in a yellow leather jacket and be done with it. <laughs> he's like wearing it. I'm like, your shoulders are like next to your ears. And when she puts them in, you're like, okay, now that makes sense. Yeah. But the vampires break through the glass. They do. They and take a like, dance and it's because Benny knew they'd be at the dance. Look, I don't know. Maybe that's why he was excited. Also, oh. why was he in a photo booth? Yeah, well, then the photos and come out and there's no, there's no picture. Yeah. And there was creepy music over that. Like, we were meant to be surprised? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I have – sorry, I've just looked at my notes and I just have in all caps, awkward dance kiss. Yeah, that's exactly what it – awkward, elongated – Dance kids. Yeah. <laughs> but the vampires, so where are we? The vampires break in, everyone's screaming. Buffy goes out. Oh, Pike brought his his prepared um, steaks that she puts in her little pull string white purse thing. Yes, uh, and she rips her dress. This is an important. Yes, makes it shorter oh. so that she can, so her stunt double can do all these flips while yep. the vampires all just stand in a really big circle and wait for her to come in and like attack and gyrate I, it, it, Merrick said 10 vampires are harder to beat than one but they weren't they all just stood in a circle and waited their turn yeah and like just waited in a conga line while she flipped instead of ran through them she, she really liked to do gymnastics it makes no sense it's so annoying and it makes no sense because you can't tell me that those flips are quicker or like use less energy than just running from point A to point B. But Why is she flipping? Cool. <laughs> Why is she flipping? I, you know, if that was happening in real life and vampires were real, she'd be dead. Do you know that's why the vampires don't attack her because they're just going, what the fuck what? is she doing? What, why what, is what she flipping? <laughs> Uh, but she goes out and fights them, but then abandons everyone in the school for the vampires just to come in. Yeah. Which, like, I thought the whole reason for going out there was to kill them all so that, that none of them got in. Because they wanted her. They didn't want to go into the gym. She like They were like, send her out. But um, Hilary Swank sent them invitations because they're seniors. So Right. I was very confused with that. But she then she runs into Amelyn. Mm-hmm. They have a fight. We get yep. the best death scene of this entire thing. Honestly, one of the greatest quotes is, aren't there times when you just feel less than fresh? I yeah, no, that was really good. <laughs> this is the thing. And, like, getting um, Paul Rubens in, who is a comic actor, and I don't know if they added these lines in for him, but it just became a comedy it's just a big old joke. It really is. And she stabs him. Well, no, she's, he's like, he's waiting for Lothos to help him. And Lothos is like, yeah. And she stabs him. And then he then spends the next, like, mi- I actually, I timed it. I love it when he kicks the wall. He's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> he's like, I mean, 
What was he expecting from from a man who was like, oh, hey, I just lost my arm. I'm so upset about my leather jacket. Like, were we expecting him to be upset about being killed? Because I just feel like he's just a disaffected kind of guy. He just wanted to, you know, chew scenery and and, and stretch Such a that weird scene. as far as he could. But it, it's one of the things that makes it enjoyable. As silly as it is, it's like, if they wanted this whole movie to be like that, I reckon it could have worked. Yeah. But it was still caught somewhere in the middle because they were probably just changing it on the fly. They were going, oh, do you know what we should do here? Let's have her flip 500 times. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, totally yeah. agree, changing it on the fly. So if the whole thing was just every vampire's death scene being like, then hey. popping back up into the camera and Whoa. continuing to die a bit more slowly. Uh, ah. Oh, that could work. More turtle porn. <laughs> more turtle porn. God. Um, and then she sort of has this weird interaction with Lothos. With the music. Yes. I don't get it. Like, is the music a tool of hypnosis that he uses? Because that's largely unexplored in the film. We know that he plays violin. We know that his presence hypnotizes her in some way. We know that Merrick's, like, gurgling handkerchief-covered last sentences is something about when the music stops. But none of it makes sense. I'm so confused. Like, it I've seen this sense. so many times, and I I think I just watched it unquestioningly. unquestioningly. And now that I'm, like watching it for the purpose of, t- of talking about it, I'm just like, none of this makes any fucking sense. Lot holes. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird because they take the time to spoon feed the audience so much stuff that would have been obvious anyway. And they leave but they fail to unpack this very key element of, you know, the conclusion. Uh, well, exciting things happen. She pulls out a cross. It yeah. lights on fire, she sprays it with a hairspray. and it does, fashion sense. It does nothing, though. Like, fire's in his face and he just kind of shakes it off like a, a shampoo commercial. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's born with it. Um, <laughs> I don't, that's not even a shampoo, is it? Maybelline. No, it works. It works. He, I mean, it does make him angry because he does go on to call her a bitch again. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Those terrible teeth. Uh, but then she runs back to the dance? Yeah, she goes back to the gym. I mean, she hasn't killed him. No, but they, they've, I think Pike has killed all the vampires. And the principal's giving them all detention slips. Detention. 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 That's detention. his detention. mechanism. And Buffy comes back in and Hilary Swank freaks out. We get... Fabulous acting as her eyes cross when she's... <laughs> Good cross-eye fainting. Head into the wall, cross-eye, fall down. Excellent. And Lothos bursts through... I don't even know where he bursts through. And is it sunlight outside? I don't know. But is he floating? I feel like he flies at this point. Oh, does he? I don't yeah. remember. I... I literally like, watched this last night. Yeah. I feel it's, it's, it makes no sense, so my brain can't keep it in. Yeah. It just deadened my brain. But she like has this fight with him. She does lots of flipping. Oh, yeah, he pulls out a sword. God. Why do you have a sword? I'm ready to rewatch the ending. 
Because all I remember is, like, he calls her a bitch and he's, like, really angry that he no longer has power over her from some source that we're not quite clear on. And then she stakes him. She does, but she stakes him and then she kicks it. She roundhouse kicks the stake in. And then he dies and covers his face with his. Well, he didn't have a handkerchief, Damien. What was he supposed to do? Well, I know. Like, you must have a handkerchief in case you die because it's the only way you can do your death scene. I, I feel like that's like something I'll add to clean underwear in case I get hit by a bus and a handkerchief in case I get staked by, I don't know, a musical vampire. <laughs> musical vampire, God. Uh, God, what does he do next? So he dies. Oh, and then we have the ending. Do they dance? They do. Pike's like, let's have this dance. And everyone else is leaving. There's dead vampires everywhere. Why can't they go like they do in the series and then it's like no no I don't think they had the budget and perhaps CGI technology wasn't quite there yet. Mm Mm-hmm. I see. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there. No, that's all right. We've made it to the end of the film. Um, it's a shit film. I forgot. I, I thought it was better than it was in, like, my memory of this film was so much better than... Same. What I and just even with even with my nostalgic like desire to enjoy it, I was struck by how shit this film is. I was like, apart like apart from having a giggle out loud at the great quotes, there's not really. I mean, it they could just do a, an audio reel of quotes and it would entertain me as much as this film did. Yeah, someone could just do a supercut of all the great quotes and then that'd that'd be everything we need out of the film. Before we uh, classify this film on the, the Camp Scary scale, do you have a campus line or moment of the film? I feel like the campus line has to be Amelin's death. Or the campus moment has to be Amelin's death yeah. because it's just so ostentatious. It is, and it's it's that thing, it's the moment where he it's. Paul Rubens knows what kind of movie he's in and no one else seems to know. And so he, like, he makes the most of it. And it is so funny. Um, It's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's so So stupid. The whole movie is absurd in its crapness, but his his performance is absurd in a way that makes it really funny. Where does this film land on the camp scary scale? Where from Divine Camp to Pure Terror would you put it? I am awarding this film on the scale a numero two, which is predominantly camp and only incidentally scary. I feel like that's fair. It's, I feel like it had a lot of potential for some real scares, but it just never really delivered on them. Much like Jeffrey's, like future career probably once his athletic ability is dried up. Yeah. A lot of potential. No delivery. Never really delivered. Thank you, Emma, for being my guest for my first episode of Camp Scary and Squee. You can follow Camp Scary and Squee on Instagram and Twitter at Camp Scary Pod. If you have questions or suggestions, you can email campscarysquee at gmail.com. And make sure you rate and review Camp Scary and Squee so that other horror fans can find us. Thank you for joining us. And remember, don't scream. 
next time. Bye.